What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Martian MMA Podcast. I am your host, and my name is John, and this week we are back with episode 72, where we will be analyzing and predicting the UFC 241 pay-per-view going down this Saturday night, headlined by the rematch between Daniel Cormier and Stipe Miocic for the UFC Heavyweight Championship. This is a 12-fight card that starts off at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time on Fight Pass and ESPN+. Then at 8 p.m. it transitions over to ESPN, the television channel. And then at 10 p.m. it goes back to ESPN Plus for the pay-per-view portion of the card. So three fights on Fight Pass and ESPN, four fights on ESPN, the TV channel, and then five main card fights on pay-per-view. It is a great fight card top to bottom. The last three fights in the card are just incredible, incredible matchups. I'll probably talk about each one of those fights for five, ten minutes or something like that. I'll try to keep it brief, but it's going to be hard to consolidate my thoughts because they're just so complex matchups between superstars of the sport and I really can't wait to break them down. But starting things off with the first fight of the evening in the women's flyweight division, we have Sabina Mazzo, who is 6-1, taking on Shayna Dobson, who is 3-2. The opening betting line for this one was Mazzo minus 190, Dobson plus 150. And right now we are seeing a pick'em fight at minus 110 on both sides. So much more action coming in on Dobson's way, and I believe that is the rightful side in this one. The opening betting line was way too high for Sabina Mazzo, and I think where it's at now is very accurate. I think that Sheena Dobson has a good matchup in this one because uh, I believe her pressure and her boxing will present some problems for Sabina Mazzo. Mazzo had some good uh, head kick knockouts on the regional circuit before she got into the UFC, but she took on Marion Mraz in her UFC debut back in March, and she lost that fight pretty convincingly. She showed that she can be taken down, she can be held down on her back, and that was by Marion Mraz, a woman who's not known for her grappling at all. And in that fight, Mazzo also struggled with the striking and the clinch of Mraz. She wasn't effective with her striking while moving backwards. She had trouble breaking out of the clinch. It was really a dominant performance from Mraz as an underdog in that one. And it really proved that there was a lot of hype behind Mazzo that was unjustified coming off of those quick head kick knockouts. So... Getting over to Shayna Dobson, uh, she is uh, a fighter with some good some good pressure, good boxing. Um, you know, not the best technique. She kind of wings punches a little bit. Doesn't have the best defense, but she's good when she moves forward. Uh, she's got some power. I think she'll be the stronger and more powerful woman of the two. And I think that she has the better ground game of the two as well. She definitely seems to come from a wrestling background. She was shooting some double leg takedowns versus Lauren Mueller. They were some decent entries, but Mueller was able to stuff them. She lost round one of that fight versus Mueller and then came back and won round two on volume and won round three on damage. She had Mueller hurt to the body at the end of that fight. She threw some straight right hands to the body and had Mueller really covering up her, her midsection and looking like she was uh, waiting for that final bell. So I really thought that Sheena Dobson won her last fight against Lauren Mueller and what didn't get uh, this, the rightful scorecard in that one. So uh, I think that there's a little more upside to Dobson. I think she her, her aggression and her boxing or forward pressure will present some problems for Mazzo. I think the Dobson also has that ability to mix in the level change and put Mazzo on her back where it is probably her biggest weakness. We could see Mazzo come in here. Well, she, 
with her uh, her UFC debut under her belt. She's going to look a lot better, sit down on her shots, get back to her good kicking game. She's got some decent boxing when she's moving forward, but uh, I really just don't see Mazzo making those improvements. Although uh, Dobson is coming off of a bit of a long layoff, I think that she will come in here and uh, she will pressure uh, Mazzo, have her on the back foot the entire time. She'll be out volume in her and she will mix in the level change to get a 29-28 decision in this one. I would like to get some plus money on Shayna Dobson because it is a low-level MMA fight or women's MMA fight. It's really hard to trust either woman, but if you give me plus money on Shayna Dobson, I will likely take it, even though I cap her chances around minus, or I cap her chances around 55 to 60%. I would like to get that plus money before I bet on her. So the pick is going to be Dobson to get this one done. The next fight takes place in the Bantamweight division. We have Brandon Davis, who is 10-6, taking on Kyung Ho Kang, who is 15-8. The opening betting line for this one was Kang, the favorite, at minus 185, Davis plus 145. Right now we are seeing Kang minus 190, Davis plus 165. So not much uh, line movement in this one. I'd say the more action is coming in on the favorite Kang in this one. I agree with Kang being the favorite in this one, but I think that where the price is at now is just a little bit too steep because although Kang is the better grappler in this spot and he has pretty good striking as well, and he should be able to be competitive, possibly even win the striking exchanges with Davis. I think that Brandon Davis is actually the fighter making more improvements fight to fight of the two. Kang has actually struggled with his activity over the past few years with his mandatory Korean military service and hasn't really got as much uh, experience as Brandon Davis has. Brandon Davis has actually been really active fighting a lot of good fighters and he's learning fight to fight. He's dropping down in weight class. Uh, He had a successful Bantamweight debut versus Randy Costa. It was taken on a, a young aggressive guy coming in there to try to take his head off in round one got hit a little bit was competitive in the striking exchanges with costa but eventually was able to uh withstand the early onslaught from uh, costa get get him tired and then costa kind of quit in that one he uh gave up his back and just got choked out with this uh a rune he could choke with no hooks in so it was a good performance from davis but he showed that his defense is not that good uh, he uses that tall man's defense because he does have some pretty good size for the bantamweight division but he's got to be careful pulling his chin back in a straight line like that because when he starts facing more powerful punchers he will get slept if he keeps making those mistakes now kang is not the most powerful puncher but he does have some decent boxing he's got good leg kicks but where he really shines is on the ground he's got a a great takedown background he comes from a judo background and he has very good trips and back takes that he uses to get the fight to the floor and once he gets you on the floor he's an incredible scrambler and back taker submission artist he's just an extremely talented grappler one of my favorite guys to watch on the mat in the entire UFC so uh, on the feet this one should be a a, a close striking match I think that uh, Davis will have I know that Davis will have the reach and size advantage and he could present some problems for Kang at range but I think eventually Kang will find his way into the pocket he will use his his leg kicks to be chopping down Davis's legs he will use his boxing to get into range and then he will try to look in to get a level change whether it's a back take or a takedown of some sort he will look to utilize his superior ground game to davis and uh, make this his easiest path to victory so uh, wherever the fight goes i think that kang uh, should be in a in comfortable position 
I just worried that he won't be able to uh, to get his submission game going against Davis because Davis had some decent grappling defense against Zabi, but ultimately I think that if Kang gets on Davis's back or if he gets a dominant position on the ground, I think Kang will get the submission. It really make, uh, worries me if Kang doesn't get the submission and it's just a, a pure kickboxing fight and Kang could get outvolumed and outstruck in that one, but I don't see that happening. I see Kang winning this fight um I'm going to go with the third round submission. He's going to probably get Davis down. Uh, we haven't seen Davis's gas tank in the late second and third rounds at 135 too. He's got to be cutting a lot of weight to get down to this weight class, a former featherweight dropping down to 135. So uh, with Kang being the more proven guy at the at the weight class, him having that big grappling advantage, and him being good enough on the feet to be competitive with Davis, I think this is a good spot for Kang. Although the price is a bit steep, and I'd say it's probably dog or pass at this uh, at this price. Maybe you could throw Kang in a parlay, but I would not bet him straight at this price. So the pick is going to be Kang, but in the betting window, it's going to be a dog or pass situation. The next fight in the women's strawweight division, we have Hannah Cyphers, who is nine and three, taking on Jody Esquibel, who is six and five. The opening betting line for this one was Cyphers, the favorite, at minus two thirty, Esquibel plus one seventy. Right now, we are seeing Cyphers minus two seventy five, Esquibel plus two thirty five. I'll try to keep this one short and sweet because it's a very easy fight to cap. Esquibel is the former boxer who never really transitioned over to MMA too well. She's got bad footwork. She's uh, very predictable on the feet. She's not very good in the clinch. She can't stuff a takedown too well. Um, she fought Angela Hill last fight. She got thoroughly outstruck, outclinched, outvolumed, outworked in every aspect of striking by Angela Hill in that fight. Uh, to our surprise, to a miracle, she's getting one more fight in the UFC despite being on like a four-fight win streak or lose, losing streak, excuse me. Um, so she's taking on Hannah Cyphers, and Cyphers is just a well-rounded fighter. She's got a decent offensive striking she's got some good boxing she can uh, trade in the pocket like she did versus viana she's not afraid to get in a bit of a gritty fight uh, uh, despite her very shy personality she's not afraid to throw down in that octagon she's very physically strong she's good in the clinch she's she was actually pretty hard to take down versus macy barber in round one eventually did get taken down in that at the end of the round and was just outstruck and then taken down and smashed with ground and pound versus barber but versus viana she picked up that good victory she uh, was able to avoid the submissions of viana she was able to land the harder cleaner punches and just uh, outgrind viana for the decision in that one very great victory for her so wherever this fight goes i see cyphers being in control on the feet she should be the better mma striker i think that her her striking is more than up to par uh enough to compete and to beat Bull in this one I think that Cyphers might even look to uh, mix in a level change, although she's not really known for it. She might, she's known for the clinch. She's good in the clinch, but she's not really known for getting offensive takedowns. But with uh, Escribo's massive uh, gaping hole in her uh, ground game, it's not really out of the realm of possibilities that Cyphers might mix in a level change. So wherever the fight goes, I expect Cyphers to be in control. I expect her to win a decision in this one, 30-27. The next fight in the bantamweight division we have manny bermudez who is undefeated at 14 and 0 taking on casey kenny who is 12 1 and 1 the opening betting line for this one was bermudez the favorite at minus 245 to kenny plus 175 right now we are seeing bermudez minus 135 kenny plus 115 so much more action coming in on the dog casey kenny in this 
spot, and rightfully so, where that opening line was set was ridiculously too high for Manny Bermudez. I honestly think I would cap Casey Kenny as the favorite in this fight. It's a very bold claim, but I'll try to make my my case as to why I think so. So we'll start things off with Bermudez. He uh, wants the, the takedown, wants the submission. There's no if ands or buts about it he does it in every single one of his fights his striking is not very good he's actually kind of desperate on the feet he throws big overhand rights to set up his takedowns but he doesn't set them up that well he tends to desperately look for a, a, a takedown attempt or looks to pull guard and he just doesn't really look too good doing it it looks like he he's risking getting knocked out every single time he desperately uh, grabs for that clinch or that takedown so that really worries me he does in all of his fights he you know benito lopez was not able to stop it last fight and he did get choked out in round one uh, but i think casey kenny has the defensive grappling to be able to deal with bermuda as he did create dealing with the uh the grappling of ray borg although it being a close decision and some people think borg winning won that fight i think if you really understand the criteria of mma you you can see that kenny won that fight borg was using all of his energy and trying to slam kenny to the ground but once he got him to the ground he did not keep position kenny bounced back up to his feet and kenny landed all of the better shots in that fight he was really the only one striking borg was just going for takedowns and back takes but he couldn't keep kenny down he couldn't get a dominant position he wasn't landing any ground a pound so it was really an example of kenny escaping all of the, the the grappling attempts of borg and landing the cleaner harder shots and that's why he won that decision so kenny is a, a pretty decent striker I, I expect him to be the more uh technical striker the more defensive striker in this one i think that if he's able to keep this fight standing versus bermudez kenny actually will we'll probably have the striking technique and power to knock Bermudez out. I think he's really that good. Uh, he likes his change in the pocket. He's got a powerful left hand. But Kenny's game is really centered around how good his wrestling is. He's a good offensive wrestler. He's great defensive takedowns, great get-ups once he gets taken down. Was able to escape the back attack of Ray Borg multiple times. Um, he's just gotten great takedown defense and cardio. And I think that's one of the most pivotal and hardest things to learn about MMA. If you have good takedown defense and good cardio, you can really beat a lot of, uh, of better fighters by just uh, outgrinding them and taking them into the deep and murky waters. And I think that's what he's going to do to Bermudez here. Bermudez, most of his fights come by way of submission. I don't know if he's actually ever won a decision before. So if he does not get that early submission in rounds one or two, I can see Kenny dragging this fight out and really putting a beating on Bermudez as the fight goes on. And that's, my official prediction is actually going to be Casey Kenny to get the third round TKO because I think Kenny will have the better cardio as the round goes on. I honestly think that Manny Bermudez is a submission or bust. So he could pull guard, get a good guard pull. He could get a nice takedown on Kenny early in the fight and look to snatch up one of his uh, his triangles or his guillotines, rear naked chokes uh in transition somehow but that's really his only victory only path to victory in my opinion i give him about a 25 to 30 percent chance to to get that submission uh i give him maybe about a five to ten percent chance to to get top position on kenny uh in two or three rounds and win a decision so i really cap bermudez as the dog in this one i think that his chance of getting the the guard pull to take down the submission are much lower than kenny's chances of stuffing the shots outstriking bermudez and taking him into the the parts of mma where he hasn't really been tested and that's the third round and that is the, the striking if bermudez is in a, a 
a prolonged striking exchange, I think he's at a high risk of getting knocked out. So I'm really high on Casey Kenny. I was super impressed with his performance against Borg. It was just a, a short note. He came in on six days notice versus Ray Borg, a guy who has fought for the UFC title before. And he had incredible cardio, incredible takedown defense, get-ups, get uh, submission uh, defense. Everything about that fight impressed me from Kenny, despite it being a very close decision. I thought he did what was necessary to get the scorecards. So uh, not really impressed by Bermudez at all. I've outlined all of his weaknesses, and he only has one real strength, and that is submissions. Uh, he doesn't do any aspect of MMA really well his guard pulls are sloppy his takedowns are sloppy his striking is sloppy his defense is almost non-existent so i would not be surprised to see kenny uh, totally dominate this one and i could be totally off on this read i could see bermuda snatching up the submission early in round one and i'm me being totally wrong about it but i would be shocked to see that to say the least so the pick is going to be kenny to get a third round tko the next fight takes place in the lightweight division. We have Drakkar Close, who is 10-1-1, taking on Christos Diagos, who is 17-7. The opening betting line for this one was close to favorite at minus 175, Diagos plus 135. Right now, we are seeing close minus 170, Diagos plus 150. So the line is staying about the same, although there is two-way action coming in on this fight. I'd say a little bit more on the favor of Drakkar Close. At one point, he was over 2-1, to one, but now you're seeing some more action come back on Giagos' way, and rightfully so. I think Jakar Close should be the favorite in this fight, but uh, right now is the absolute maximum where I would cap him at is minus 170. I think his real chances to win this fight are around minus 130, minus 150. I just don't trust Close's uh, cardio or takedown defense enough to be laying this much chalk on him because he's facing a guy named Christos Yagos who has good pressure and good takedowns, not the best cardio. He also fades in round three himself. I don't know if Yagos has ever really won a round three. Actually, I think he won round three versus uh, Demir Hodzovic in his last fight. He showed a little bit of of improvements in his cardio and composure in that fight but he lost round three versus uh Hirota last year and that was after a fight he was winning rounds one and two pretty uh decisively and he just gave up mount round three and almost uh well he didn't almost lose because he had the rounds two and a run and two in the bag but he lost round three in that fight so you really can't trust Giagos in round three so you have to really trust that Giagos can get rounds one and two in the bag before he gasses out Giagos has a very takedown heavy style and that's very taxing on the cardio so he really needs to uh, use his energy uh, conservatively in this one because uh, Close I think should be the much, much better striker on the feet. Close has uh, great leg kicks, he's got good boxing, he really targets the calf well uh, and debilitates that lead leg. And he comes from a, a wrestling base himself. I think he was a state champion wrestler in high school, although that was 12, 13 years ago. He does have a good wrestling base. Uh, but he was taken down versus Bobby Green. He was taken down with a, a body lock tr outside trip takedown, which is a takedown that Jagos likes getting a lot. He landed on Hodzovic. He landed it on Hirota. And I expect him to land it on, or look to land it on close again. And he probably will get it because Bobby Green, he does have a, a decent wrestling base as well, but he's not the highest level wrestler. And if Bobby Green can get close down, I am kind of MMA math in it. I think that Jagos will get uh, close down too. Uh, I think Close will be able to get up, and Giagos won't uh, really dominate him on the ground, won't get a dominant position for, for a long period of time. But those takedowns are going to be a lot to overcome because 
Yagos is going to be chasing the takedowns early. He's going to be pressuring Close in the first two rounds, and Close is going to have to sit down on some power strikes to get Yagos off him, or else he is at a high chance for losing the first two rounds of this fight. So I think that Close does have the, the get-ups and the wrestling uh, defense to uh, keep Yagos off him for long periods of time. It just really comes down to if he can land the cleaner, harder strikes on the feet to make uh, those rounds, uh, to make that time count and to win rounds. So it's going to be a super close fight between these two, no pun intended. Uh, but uh, I think that Giagos will get close down and will probably win round one. But Giagos is going to set a pace that he can't keep up. And in rounds two and three, Close will start to stuff the shots. He will start to land the better, cleaner strikes on the feet. And he will start to outstrike Giagos to win rounds two and three of this fight. So the pick is going to be close by decision. But where the betting line is at now, I think the value is on Giagos. I think anywhere around plus 150, 160, 170, there's value on Giagos. So um, if uh, close drops below minus 150, I'd say the, the betting value is on him. But where the, the line is at now, I would say that the line value is on Christos Giagos. So the pick is going to be close by decision. The next fight takes place in the Bantamweight division. We have Rafael Asuncao, who is 27-6, taking on Corey Sandhagen, who is 11-1. The opening betting line for this one was Sandhagen, the favorite at minus 145, Asuncao plus 105. Right now, we are seeing Sandhagen minus 220 to Asuncao plus 180. So, more action coming in on Sandhagen's way, and he was actually about minus 160, minus 170 a few days ago, and he has got a lot of action on him in the past few days, in the past few hours, honestly, so... With this big UFC card, expect some big money to be laid on a, a lot of different fighters. So get in your money on the prices while you like it instead of anticipating uh, getting better prices. Because if you anticipated betting Sandhagen at minus 170, minus 180, that price is long, long gone. But getting back to the matchup in this one, it's actually a pretty tough fight for Sandhagen. Despite him being uh, the younger, more up-and-coming fighter, I think that... There is a path to victory for Asuncao on this one, and that is going to be with the takedowns. Because on the feet, I think that at this point in their careers, Sandhagen is going to be the much more effective striker. He's going to have some size and reach over Asuncao. He's going to have a huge speed advantage over Asuncao. And I think that's going to be the biggest factor is the speed. Because Sandhagen is just so much younger. Uh, and I think he's just the speed is going to be too much for Asuncao to handle. Now, Asuncao's path to victory in this fight is going to be with the takedowns. I'd say Sandhagen's least tested area of MMA that we've seen him in is takedowns. He has been taken down by his opponents before. Uh, although he hasn't been controlled or in bad positions. Actually, he, he did almost get submitted by Alcantara, but he showed incredible toughness in his arm and was able to finish Alcantara shortly after that. Asuncao's biggest unknown is in the grappling, and he has been taken down in fights before. Although he hasn't been controlled, he has been put in some bad spots, like Alcantara got him in that deep arm bar that he miraculously got out of and finished Alcantara shortly after. But if I were a Asuncao, I would be looking to get offensive takedowns and to look to get top position and win, win rounds on top, like he did versus Rob Font just last year. Font was a, a longer guy, younger, taller, um, was supposed to have the striking advantage in that fight, but just didn't have the takedown defense to stop a Asuncao from getting on top of him and winning rounds. So that's a very possible uh, scenario that could happen in this fight. 
But I just think that Sanhagen is really just getting into his prime. He's making huge improvements fight to fight. The fight against Lineker, last, uh, his last opponent, I really thought that he just dominated Lineker in that fight. You know, a lot of people thought that Lineker was landing... Uh, you know, the more cleaner, powerful shots. I didn't think he was landing clean at all. Every time you throw those big telegraphed hooks, uh, Sanhagen would be sliding out of the way and it would be bouncing off his elbows or his forearms. And I didn't think Sanhagen really got caught clean that entire fight until about the last 30 seconds when the the Linker got a big flurry in and the ending position with the guillotine almost happened. But I still gave Sandhagen that round. He was clearly outstriking Linker for the first four and a half minutes of the round. And really the entire fight, he just had masterful distance control and defense and was barely getting hit at all by Linker's big, huge, powerful punches. So on the feet, I expect Sanhagen to have a, a big advantage, to be two steps ahead of Asun Sao. Asun Sao does have great boxing, great fundamentals, and he could surprise us and still be with it at the uh, at the age of 37. But I think that it's Sanhagen's time. I think that he comes in here and outstrikes Asun Sao. I think that he's able to avoid the takedown by using his footwork and using his jab to just not let Asun Sao get close. But if Asun Sao gets in on the legs of Sanhagen, I think that he will get Sanhagen down, and it will get very interesting. Interesting if Sun Tzu is able to get the takedown in this fight, but uh, like I said just now, I think that Sanhagen's footwork and his jab and his straight punches, his leg kicks will be his takedown defense in this fight. I just don't think a Sun Tzu is going to be able to get in on his hips. Maybe he'll blast the double leg and get Sanhagen down, but I don't see it happening. I see Sanhagen getting the victory in this one. I could even see a TKO for uh, Sanhagen at some point, but I'm going to go with Sanhagen to win a 29-28 decision. But where the price is at now, I think that the value is gone on Sanhagen. I'd say there actually uh, is a bit of value on a Sun Tzu, plus 180. I'd cap this fight around uh, Sanhagen minus 175, a Sun Sao plus 150. So um, where the line's at now, it's going to be dog or pass, but I'm picking Sanhagen to get the decision victory and win this fight. The next fight takes place in the lightweight division. We have Devontae Smith, who is 10-1, taking on Kama Worthy, who is 14-6. The opening betting line for this one was... Smith, the favorite, at minus 750, Worthy plus 450. Right now we are seeing minus 800 for Smith, Worthy plus 550. So massive favorite for Smith, and rightfully so. It's a very short-notice opponent. Um, he was supposed to fight John Macdessey. Macdessey pulled out. He was supposed to fight Clay Collard. Clay Collard pulled out, and on about four or five days' notice, they got Kama Worthy to come in here. And uh, Worthy is uh, not worthy of this opportunity to be honest he is not a very technical fighter he he there's not much footage of him online so i will give him some a little bit of credit he could be better than we expect he could have made some improvements over the last couple of his fights because most of his recent fights are not available online but from the limited footage i've seen of him it, it's just not good he's a very long lanky guy he's an orthodox striker and he just has a lot of twitching and nervous movement on the feet he's a lot of unnecessary motion he was leaving his chin wide open when he fought Matt Bissett, and he got rocked with a few overhand rights in that fight. He got taken down in that fight. He was able to escape bottom, get back to his feet, but once he gets to the feet, he, he throws wild combinations. He's very untechnical, doesn't have good footwork, and the biggest thing in this fight for me is seeing that Worthy has been knocked out five times in his career. He hasn't even made it to the UFC yet, and he's been knocked out five times, so... 
like I said, there is not much footage of him. The last full fight of his is the Mapaset fight, and that's from three years ago. He could have made massive improvements. He could come in here and have a, a fairly competitive striking fight with Smith, but I just don't see any way he, he wins this fight versus Smith. I don't think he has the power to touch the – I haven't even mentioned anything about Smith yet, but I just don't think that Worthy has the power or grappling or anything to compete with Smith. Uh, Smith is primarily a striker. We've seen him actually have massive problems with grappling before. He actually has a loss to John Gunther being the lone loss on his record. But his boxing is just tremendous. He's got massive power. His 1-2 is just clean. He's knocked out both of his opponents in the UFC so far with that 1-2. The first one being Julian Arosa. Arosa with that terrible head movement leaving his chin wide open. Smith timed him right away and it only took him like 45 seconds to knock out Arosa. Took him a little bit longer with Dung Hyung Ma, but he was patient uh, throwing some feelers versus Ma. Got Ma to throw a leg kick. Checked the leg kick easily. It hurt Ma's shin because it was such a clean check and Smith rocked him with a 1-2 right after and finished him up with some uh, some follow-up strikes. So I've been impressed with Smith so far, although he hasn't shown much. He really has only shown his, his calf kick, his straight punches, uh, got a solid jab. He knocked out one of his opponents with uh, elbows while they were going for a takedown before. So not much footage of Smith really either in the UFC, but I think what we from what we've seen of him so far, he is more than enough, uh, more than capable enough to get uh, this, the knockout on Worthy in this one. So I'm going to go with Smith to get another first round knockout with that that money Southpaw one too. Um, so the pick is going to be Smith to, by knockout, and if there's if Smith by knockout is anything worse than minus three hundred or there's plus money on round one at all, I would say take that prop on Smith because this is going to be a very easy fight for him. Now moving on to the main card, we have five fights on the main card and five incredible matchups. These fights uh, really can all go either way. I'd say uh, I have a few confident picks, but for the most part, these. These are very subjective fights. You can see these fights going a lot of different ways. Uh, they're hard fights to pick, but I will do my best uh, with sharing my notes from doing my tape analysis and do my best to predict them uh, as I think they will go. So we're starting things off in the middleweight division where we have Derek Brunson, who is 19-7, taking on Ian Heinish, who is 13-1. The opening betting line for this one was Heinish, the minus 215 favorite, Derek Brunson plus 165. Right now we are seeing Heinish minus 145 to Brunson plus 125. So more action coming in on Brunson since the opener. And I think that the opener was set a little bit too high, but ultimately I think that Heinish is the rightful favorite in this fight and should get the W in this one. I think that Derek Brunson does have a path to victory to win this fight, but it's hard to outline exactly what that is because if he goes for offensive takedowns I do not think that he will be able to get Heinish down I don't think he'll be able to keep him down Heinish has showed absolutely incredible takedowns get-ups submission defense in his first couple fights against some of the best black belts in the UFC in Matanche and uh, Antonio Carlos Jr. so if Brunson tries to get him down I don't think he will be able to do so it, so Brunson's really going to have to outstrike Heinish on the feet and he can do that but I don't know I think he, he has a small window I think that the first round knockout is probably his best path to victory because Brunson is known for going crazy in round one and blitzing you and either uh, getting the knockout or getting knocked out I think like eight of his fights in a row ended in the first round but 
his last fight against Elias Theodoro, he showed that he wanted to be a little more composed. He fought uh, with a lot less intensity. He did not try to chase the knockout. He got takedowns and fought very, um, you know, conservatively in that fight. And it was the right move because he got the decision. It was a dominant victory. Theodoro didn't hurt him with anything, had no success throughout the fight. It was really Brunson's uh, fight. So we saw some offensive wrestling from Brunson in that one. We saw some decent top position. Uh, we sh- showed some good composure, good cardio. So there was a lot to like about that performance from Brunson. But when it comes down to it, I think that Heinish is just too young, too hungry, too um, strong, athletically fit for Brunson to beat him at this point. And it sounds like kind of a ridiculous argument. But if you watch Heinish's first couple of fights, he, you know, was in bad spots. He was in, uh, in bottom against, uh, world-class uh, jiu-jitsu black belts and he escaped and he got he stuffed takedowns and he reversed positions and he just had insane cardio even on short notice he had great cardio against uh cesar ferreira in his debut so i've, I've just been so impressed with highness he pushes a high pace he, he has uh, pretty decent striking not the most technical striking uh, and that's why i'm not 100 percent confident in highness because even if he's able to stuff brunson's takedowns on the feet i think highness should be uh, the more active and the more more um, effective striker of the two, but it's not like he has incredible counterpunching skills like Robert Whitaker or uh, Israel Adesanya or Jacare Souza, some of the guys who have been able to be- defeat Brunson. Those guys have been able to knock Brunson out in round one, round two, but Brunson really does not go the distance much. The The most recent time he did, he uh, well, was the win against uh, Theodoro last fight, but before that, he lost the controversial decision to Silva. Before that, you'd have to go all the way to 2014 to Larkin, to which the decision that he won. So he's never lost a legitimate decision in the UFC because the Silva one was a, a total robbery. Brunson really doesn't see that many decisions in the UFC, but I think that this one is going to go to the decision. The most likely uh, chance of a finish, I would say, would be Brunson getting the knockout on round one. I'd say that's about a 20% chance. And then Heinish getting a round two or three TKO, honestly, could be a, a, a possibility as well because I think the pressure and, and the pace that Heinish will put on Brunson is going to break him. I think Heinish could uh, get his own takedowns, end up in top position. He should be outstriking Brunson on the feet and really just dictating wherever this fight goes. So uh, the pick is going to be Heinish to get it done by third round TKO. I think that the pressure will add up. I think that Brunson will maybe go for a desperate takedown and get the position reversed and won't be able to escape. So I'm very confident in Heinish in this spot. I'm super high on the guy. I've been a big big fan of him. So we could see an, an, uh, a you know great turn back the clock performance from Brunson where he comes out here and knocks Heinish out in round one or he's able to just outstrike Heinish on on the feet and be the more technical striker because he's got the more UFC experience he's got the more uh, I'd say technique on the feet but I just think that Heinish's pressure aggression and power strength all those things he's got going for him will be the deciding factor for Heinish in the spot so the pick is going to be Heinish and where the betting line is at now I'd actually say there's a little bit of value on Heinish's money line so I'm locked in for about a unit on Heinish's money line. I think I have another unit or so on the fight goes to the decision. And I actually might add some more to Heinish's money line as the fight gets closer. So pick is going to be Heinish by third round TKO. The next fight takes place in the featherweight division. We have Sadiq Youssef, who is 9-1, taking on Gabriel Benitez, who is 21-6. The opening betting line for this one was Youssef, the favorite, at minus 305, Benitez plus 225. Right now, we are seeing 
Yusef minus 275, Benitez plus 235. So two weight action coming in on this fight. So that early action came on Yusef, almost pushing him to a four to one favorite at one point. But now the action is steadily creeping back on Benitez. I'd say that's the right move by the betting public because uh, although Yusef should win this fight and should be a favorite, I think that three to one is a little more accurate as opposed to four to one. Uh, even you know minus 250 would probably be a little more appropriate than minus 300 because Super Sadiq Yusuf has looked very impressive in the UFC so far. He's got great striking, uh, really powerful boxing, good good leg kicks. But in that fight against Shaman Marias, he showed a little bit of weakness, and that was that he his output is not the best. He can take rounds off. He can uh, not pull the trigger at times because he won round one versus Marias. He was landing good calf kicks and good punches and round two Marais just found ways to counter he was figuring Yusef out a little bit he was being the more active striker landing the better shots and Marais won round two and Marais was picking up right where he left off he was winning round three the first three or four minutes uh Marais was just out voluming uh Sidi Yusef and Yusef was just too tentative and then eventually Yusef uh was able to drop Marias in round three. It was almost finished. I mean, you know, it had a massive, powerful sequence that he he should have most he should have knocked most guys out with. But Marias stayed in there and hung in tough to the decision. And Sadiq Yusuf did enough to win round three. But that was a slim margin. He won that fight in you know the last the last minute of the fight. He dropped was able to drop Marias and get the W. So if this one it stays on the feet and it's a striking battle, which it really should be, uh, look for Sadiq to to not be as active as he should be and he might lose rounds he might even lose this decision on being inactive like he was versus marias but when it comes down to the striking technique of the two i just think yusef is much more technical he's got more power he's faster he's he got better defense benitz has a, a decent left hand he's got a good left kick uh he's coming off of that slam victory over humberto bandane uh, i think he has a victory over uh Darren Elkins before that, so he's on a bit of a roll. Uh, his last loss came to Barzola back at UFC 211, where he was just taken down by that fight, but he's got great get-ups when he gets taken down. He doesn't have the best takedown defense, but he's really good at getting back to his feet. But uh, I, think, I don't think that's a non-factor in this fight because... Neither of these guys are going to uh, offensive wrestle, I don't think. Neither of them has really shown too much offensive uh, takedown, so I don't expect this to fight for them to show it. I think that this fight will be contested mostly on the feet, and uh, Yusef is just going to be more powerful. He's going to be landing the harder shots, and I don't think that Benitez has the striking technique or the craftiness on the feet uh, like Shaman Marias does to make this a competitive fight. I just think that uh, Yusef's power, his calf kicks, and his boxing are going to be too much for Benitez. Uh, I'd say Benitez's uh, best path to victory would be catching the chin of Yusef early in round one. Yusef has been rocked before by uh, Luis Gomez. His, his one and only loss, he was rocked by a right hand in that fight and then knocked out by a, a takedown on the ground. So uh, Yusef is beatable. He's not perfect, but I think that he's uh, certainly good enough to win in this spot. Uh, the only thing I'm worried about is him not throwing enough, being inactive, and losing on volume to Benitez on the scorecards. But I don't think that'll happen. I think the most likely outcome we see is Yusef get the knockout of this one. The second most likely outcome is seeing uh, Yusef win the decision. Small, small chance of Benitez winning the decision as well. But I don't think there's too much value left on Benitez where the price is at. I'd say Yusef, uh, there's actually value on him in minus. 275 he'd be a good parlay piece or something like that but the pick is going to be Yusef to get it done by knockout in the second round 
The next fight takes place in the middleweight division. We have Yoel Romero, who is 13-3, taking on Paulo Costa, who is 12-0. The opening betting line for this one was Romero, the favorite, at minus 190, Costa plus 165. Right now, we are seeing Romero minus 145, Costa plus 125. So more action coming in on Paulo Costa. And let me just preface this fight by saying that both of these guys are genetic freaks. They're both muscular as fuck. They're both on all the steroids. They both are coming off of one-year layoffs. Romero has not fought since UFC 225. Costa has not fought since UFC 226. There's a lot unknown about this matchup because both of these guys are just so explosive and powerful. And all the analysis, all the tape study in the world... uh, This fight is one of those fights where some unpredictable outcome can easily happen, where there's uh, an anomaly outcome, and it's something that none of us could have accounted for. So be very wary of that to happen in this fight, because it's such an unknown fight. And I will do my best to break it down, but it's going to be hard. It's going to be my second take breaking this one down, because I didn't like uh, my first take. I thought my thoughts were all over the place, so I'll try to do a little bit better breaking this fight down. So let's start things off with Yoel Romero. The 42-year-old Cuban missile, he is a former Olympic wrestler. He is a southpaw striker. He has a very unique style where he likes to be very low output in round one. He likes to feel you out. He likes to stay defensive, check kicks, and not get hit. And then he he downloads the information, and then he looks to explode. And that's exactly what he did versus is Luke Rockhold. Round one, he was staying defensive, checking kicks, not getting hit. Round two, he exploded right when the round started, hit Rockhold with some solid punches, got his respect, and Rockhold was tentative and scared from that point on. And eventually, Rioel was able to knock him out with that overhand left in round three. And it just that's just an embodiment of his style is he doesn't do much for the first couple rounds. You think he might be losing rounds or being too tentative, and then boom, he knocks you out in round three. Romero's round threes are some of the best out of anybody in the sport. He's gotten five, six knockouts in the UFC in round three. And I think that that's where his best path to victory in this fight is, is dragging Costa into the later rounds where he has never been and getting that late knockout on him. Romero uh, doesn't really have traditional offense. He likes throwing big uh, bursts of offense, huge punch combinations. He's got power in his left hand. He's got a great flying knee and spinning back kick. But despite him having that great wrestling pedigree, he really doesn't use his uh, wrestling as an offensive path to victory. He uses it reactively when he sees the the chance for a takedown or he's getting hit with a big combination. He'll he'll shoot a ta- uh, takedown and look to level change for a short bit of time. But he's not the type of wrestler who gets takedowns, gets top position, wins rounds, and uses that as a path to victory. He really goes in there looking to knock you out and maybe use his wrestling if he needs to. One uh, thing about Romero for this fight is that he's not fighting five rounds for the first time in about three years. His past three fights have been scheduled for five rounds, and I think his style is much more suited for three rounds. I don't know if anybody has beat him in a a three-round fight in the UFC. Maybe Jacare Souza, that controversial decision, but... It's going to be tough to beat Romero in a three-round fight, but he's 42 years of old, uh, th- 30, 42 years of age, excuse me. We constantly joke about Romero not aging and him getting better, and he's getting physically stronger and all this crazy shit as he gets older. But that's bound to drop off at some point. It's it's 
It's human nature that he will decline at some point. And this might be the fight coming off that year layoff, coming off of that $28 million lawsuit that he got from the supplement company. It might be Romero's time where he drops off. And the perfect guy to pick up in his place is Paulo Costa because he is a very similar fighter. He's a steroid powerhouse looking to come in here and knock you out. A little more different style than Romero where he comes at you in round one, blitzes you, looks to throw uh, power punches from that orthodox stance. He digs to the body. He's got decent leg kicks. He's got good body kicks, good pressure, movement, cutting off the cage. He'll really trap you against the cage and look to unleash combinations and knock you out. And it didn't matter that Uriah Hall was throwing some solid jabs back his way and was kicking his legs and had good footwork. And even at one point rocked Paulo Costa with a right hand behind the ear. Costa marched forward through all that and still was able to knock Uriah Hall out in his last fight. His definitely his most impressive performance. In that fight, though, Costa was um, double leg takedown for a short period of time, although he did quickly bounce back to his feet. It showed that Romero should be able to do the same thing to him. And uh, Costa's output is definitely something to be weary of because he's never fought past eight minutes. He's never been in the third round. And we really have no idea how he will look in round three. But due to his muscular style, his his early blitzkrieg type of style, I don't think that his cardio will hold up in round three. And he should gas out at the end of round two into round three. So I think that that's where Romero will look to, to grab or to take this fight. He'll look to stay defensive, shell up early. Um, versus Costa and look to take him into the later rounds and gas Costa out but it's going to be tough surviving that early onslaught from Costa because he's so powerful he he has good body kicks he, he targets the body he doesn't headhunt too much and he's just he's good at cutting off the cage and he could be a problem for Romero I could very well see Costa coming in here and this being a change of the guard type of fight and Costa comes in here and rock knocks Romero out in rounds one or two I could see Romero dragging this fight out uh, into rounds two and three, looking to get the finish of his own. I could see Romero maybe countering Costa early and knocking him out in round one. And I really could see this fight being low output from both guys. They both have a little bit too much respect for one another, and it could honestly go to to the decision where I favor Costa to have the higher output and to win the rounds one and two and to win this decision. So the fight could play out a million different ways. It's such a hard fight to predict. It's going to be a great fight. It's a great stylistic matchup that's been planned for years now, and we're finally going to get to see it. I'd say the most likely outcome is Yoel Romero by third round knockout. Costa's going to be gassed out, and Romero's going to unleash that that's that onslaught, maybe get top position on the ground and unleash some elbows and get the finish. But this fight can play out in so many different ways. And when when it comes to the betting lines in this one, I think that if you were able to get Costa at plus one, you know, any type of plus 125, even where it's at now, there might be some value. I think that's a dog or pass fight because even though I'm picking Romero to win, I would not lay the chalk on a 42-year-old guy coming off of a one-year layoff, coming off of a $28 million lawsuit to be, you know, physically, I mean, I don't trust his, his, for him to be in shape, but Romero has always got a tough weight cut. He's always sucking down to the last pound to get to that 186 limit, and it's just hard laying, uh, laying chalk on Romero at this stage of his career although he's a freaking nature and he could come out here and take Costa out and we could be kicking ourselves for not taking minus 145 on Romero I just I, I'm not comfortable betting a 42 year old guy to come in here and take out this uh 
human experiment in Paulo Costa. So um, the pick is going to be Romero to get the third round knockout. Would not totally surprise me if Costa pulled up the upset, though. It's going to be an incredible fight. I really can't wait for this matchup to go down. And the pick is going to be the soldier of God to get it done by third round knockout. The next fight takes place in the welterweight division, the co-main event of the evening. We have Nate Diaz, who is 19 and 11, taking on Anthony Pettis, who is 22 and 8. The opening betting line for this one is Diaz minus 120, Pettis plus 100. We are now seeing the line flip, Pettis minus 125, Diaz plus 105. So another incredible matchup that's been planned for, you thought we were planning Costa Romero for a long time. This fight has been in the making for about five or six years, I want to say. Ever since Pettis was champ back in 2013, Diaz wanted a piece of Pettis. And 2019, at a different weight class, five or six years later, we're finally going to see the matchup. So let's start things off with Nate Diaz because he's the much easier fighter to summarize. Has not fought in three years. His last fight was against Conor McGregor at UFC 202. He's only had two opponents in the past four and a half years, Michael Johnson being the other one. He's a southpaw boxer. He's really heavy on the lead leg. He throws almost exclusively all punches. He's got great boxing, great one-two, good jab, good output, good cardio. Uh, he does a lot of things right. He's got great submissions on the ground, but he also has a lot of weaknesses. He doesn't have a great consistent way of getting fights to the ground. His wrestling is not the greatest. Uh, his takedown defense is not the greatest either. He can start slow. He um, can struggle against pressure fighters. When when guys are pressuring right back at him, he can struggle like RDA did, um, like Connor did in the early rounds of the rematch and in rounds four. Whenever guys are coming at Nate Diaz and not afraid to take one to eat one, he can struggle with that. And he was he was dropped early in round one versus Connor. He was leg kicked a lot versus Connor. And Diaz's biggest flaw over his career has been not willing to adapt. He will lose a fight uh, by getting leg kicked too much, and he'll get right back in there without addressing that hole. And that is a huge detriment to Diaz's career over the time, uh, over his career. I mean, he's a I would say he's a good fighter. I would not say he's a great fighter because. He has 11 losses. He has been lost to a lot of fighters who maybe not aren't better fighters than him. He just lost that fight. He tends to not do well adapting mid-fight. If the fights are not going his way, he's not great at finding a way to win. And you know, that being said, you know I love the guy. He's he's a great he's a great fighter. Or I just contradicted myself. He he's a good fighter. He's uh got great jiu-jitsu, great boxing, he's got a great attitude, he talks shit in the cage, he's a crazy personality outside the cage, and I'm very thankful that Nate Diaz is back, but this is a tough matchup for him, because he's taken on Anthony Pettis, who has been fighting very, very actively since Nate Diaz has not fought, so Diaz, since Diaz fought last, Anthony Pettis has fought the 145-pound champion, Max Holloway, he beat Jim Miller. He uh, fought the interim lightweight champion, uh, Dustin Poirier. Lost a, a back-and-forth war in that one. He picked up a very nice finish over Mike Chiesa, who is now fighting at the uh, the welterweight division. He had a close fight with Ferguson, the interim champ, where he lost. And then he went up to welterweight last fight, and he knocked out Stephen Thompson, uh, former title challenger at welterweight. So he, he's just been so much more active across 45, 55, 70, fighting 
former champions and title challengers, and he's just fighting at the, the highest level of the sport. While Diaz hasn't done anything, he's been you know smoking weed, doing triathlons, uh, complaining for the past three years. And meanwhile, Pettis has been fighting the best of the best. He's been looking good. He's been making improvements and. Even though he's at the tail end of his career as well, he's still getting better. And I think that uh, Pettis is the much more capable fighter of the two at this point in their career. I, I don't think anybody out there will di will disagree with that. Maybe you could think that Pettis is the damage that he's taken lately in his fights will wear on him when Diaz is coming in fresh, hasn't been hit in three years. But I think Pettis has been much more active. He's he's used to fighting in the cage. He, he just knocked out a natural 170 pounder in his last fight. But in that fight against Thompson, he was struggling with the straight punches of Thompson. He was getting outstruck. He was struggling with the kicks of Thompson, the range. and then But that didn't matter. He was getting busted up with straight punches. His nose was bleeding. At the end of round two, he threw that Superman punch and knocked Stephen Wonderboy Thompson out cold. An incredible comfort behind victory. But Pettis also has his has his problems. He's struggled with pressure fighters as well. He has struggled with guys who mix in kicks and punches to their game plans, uh, to their pressure as well. Like when Ferguson, he would throw inside leg kicks and teeps and mix that in with his punches. He really struggled with that. He struggled with uh, Wonderboy Thompson's kicks and punches when he mixed them together. But when if you're just coming in here to box to box. Pettis I think he can handle you although Poirier really outboxed him uh, I think that Diaz's style is a little bit too one-dimensional for Pettis at this point in his career Pettis is going to be kicking Diaz's legs he's going to be kicking using body kicks taekwondo kicks all his spinning techniques his fancy techniques that he is famous for throwing uh, and he's just going to be giving Diaz a lot a lot of different looks and Diaz really has one path to victory and that's going to be outboxing Pettis uh pressure in Pettis and breaking Pettis as the fight goes on with his volume and just outlanding Pettis and starting to really put the damage on in rounds two and three and win the decision or possibly knock out Pettis early. He's not going to take Pettis down. He's not going to knock him out in the first round. He can knock him out later as the fight goes on, but I don't see it happening. I, I think this is Pettis's fight. I think that the leg kicks will be a big uh, factor in this one. I think that Pettis' activity will be a big factor. The fact that he's been fighting the best of the best at featherweight, lightweight, welterweight. He's going to be much more prepared for this fight. He fought as most recently as March 23rd, while Nate Diaz has not fought since August 20th of 2016. That's a huge factor in this fight. Don't let it fool you. Even though Diaz has looked good coming off of a long layoff before against Michael Johnson, that was at, welter, or that was at lightweight. That was against Michael Johnson, who's a, a much more one-dimensional fighter than Pettis is so uh, I think this is Pettis's fight I, I don't think that Nate Diaz is going to have that pressure to beat Pettis you really have to be in Pettis's face non-stop hitting him with all different looks and kicks and punches and spinning attacks like Tony Ferguson was doing like Dustin Poirier was doing and I don't think Diaz has the pressure or the output to do that in this fight so uh, it could it I could be totally wrong. We could see a, 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 a turn back the uh, clock performance from Diaz. He could outbox Pettis. He could put on a clinic. He could call out McGregor for that third fight or call out Masvidal or whoever he wants to fight next. You really don't know what Diaz is fighting for at this point. But 
you know, Pettis is still looking to fight the best of the best. He was trying to fight Gaethje or Barboza or whoever was next, and, and Diaz was that guy next for him. So I, I just trust Pettis's IQ a little bit more. I trust his his ability to make reads mid-fight and to adjust. I, think, I trust his ability to come in here in better shape, to come in here with a better game plan. Well, you know how Nate Diaz is. He comes in here to fight. He doesn't come in here with much of a game plan. He's just uh, looking to scrap, and that can be a detriment to him at some times. So... I'm trusting Pettis' IQ. I'm trusting his uh, game plan to be light kick heavy in this one, to have good pressure, to uh, have Diaz on his back foot, and to outstrike Nate Diaz to a 29-28 decision. That's going to be my official pick. And with that being said, we're going to move on to the main event of the evening, the rematch for the UFC Heavyweight Championship t- between Daniel Cormier, who is 22-1, and taking on Stipe Miocic, who is... 18 and 3. The opening betting line for this one was Cormier minus 150, Miocic plus 130. Right now we are seeing Cormier minus 135, Miocic plus 115. So two way action coming in on this fight. Uh, the first fight between these two, Cormier opened up as a plus 140 underdog, and he actually got his high around plus 240 at some times in that fight but it closed around the same price but now you were seeing the line flip with Cormier winning the last fight now he's the rightful favorite in this one and it's a very tough fight to pick because I believe the last fight was a bit of an anomaly between the two no one was picking DC to win by the first round knockout it was a kind of an unlikely scenario but you know it might end up happening again in this one despite it being an anomaly uh you know, Miocic getting that chin tested, getting knocked out like that, he could uh, have too much of a mental barrier to overcome in this one. And maybe DC is just the better fighter. Maybe uh, this outcome wasn't an anomaly and we will see it happen again. But I think this fight will play out a little bit differently. I think that the two of them just, just went head on at each other last fight. They were just trading punches from the jump. They were being aggressive in the clinch, going for takedowns, uh, at one point, Stipe muscled a quick takedown, but DC hopped back up to his feet. DC was landing good jabs. Uh, he was looking to mix in the clinch, uh, looking to land punches on the break, which eventually was the punch that knocked out Stipe. There were some controversial eye pokes in this one. You can uh, argue about if what those meant to the fight. I didn't think they were too much of a factor. DC did eye poke Stipe, but Stipe... Uh, he quickly recovered and said, I'm ready to fight. Stipe even landed an eye poke on DC at one point. So I think that eye poke narrative is way overplayed in how the first fight went. You heard DC say, Stipe drops his hands when he comes out of the pocket. We game plan for that. Stipe did that, and DC capitalized on it, and he knocked him out. That was planned. It was drilled it was rehearsed and he executed it so i don't think the eye pokes had much to do with it it was a a a tendency the dc and his team noticed on tape and they were able to exploit it drill it and and win the fight with that technique so it was not a lucky outcome by any means Uh, i just think that they went a little too uh they came out going a little too fast last time. They, I don't think they'll do that this time. I think they're both going to have respect for one another. I think, especially Miocic, because he felt the, the the heavy hands of Cormier getting knocked out last fight, and I think that they're going to be a little more feeling out in the first round of this one. They're going to be trading jabs. I don't think we'll see them going head on as much as they were because they really came out aggressive, both of them. They were trading, they were landing high amounts of strikes, and that's why we saw the knockout early. So. Uh, 
When it comes down to who will make the better improvements, though, I think that Stipe is the more likely to make improvements. DC is 40 years old. He is the fighter that he is. I don't think that he's making many more improvements. I don't think he's adding much to his game. I don't think he's fixing too many holes in his game. The biggest hole in DC's game is his defensive boxing. He is a nightmare on the feet when it comes to defense. He flinches and twitches and grabs and leaves himself open and leans like crazy it's actually pretty remarkable that dc has gotten to the point in his career that he has with how bad his boxing defense is a lot of dc fans don't want to hear this and i consider myself a fan of the guy i've got a t-shirt of him i uh, bet on him last fight versus Stipe. i was super happy to see him win the title but the dude has a major defense issue he and you can see it in the first round of that fight versus Stipe. he's flinching and and over uh, exaggerating his movements and grasping for the clinch and leaving his chin open and if dc or if stipe has studied those those flinches and those twitches and is ready to come in here and counter punch dc and to make his punches count and try to test that chin and knock dc out that's his best path to victory i think that stipe's uh chance to win this fight is by first or second round knockout and as the fight goes later, I think the DC's cardio, DC's pace, his style, that was wrestling heavy, that clinch heavy style, is just going to be a nightmare for Stipe. Uh, we saw Stipe gas out pretty hard in the Nganu fight. Uh, we have not seen DC go the full five rounds lately, but at this point, I think that DC will still have the better cardio. Uh, despite him being up there in age, despite him moving up in weight class, I, I still trust his cardio and his style as the fight goes later. So... I think the DC will be looking to clinch, uh, looking to get takedowns, and look to maybe land that same punch he did on Stipe as the first fight if Stipe hasn't fixed that hole in his game. I think that Stipe will be looking to counterpunch DC and maybe touch that chin of that sloppy defense as well. So it's a really tough fight to pick because uh, Cormier is getting up there in age. He has had back problems before. And I think both of these guys kind of got one foot out the door. You know, Stipe has always been a full-time fireman. Uh, but I, I read that he was working a 24-hour fireman shift three weeks ago. He's three weeks away from his rematch, his last chance to get his belt back at heavyweight. And if he loses this fight by knockout, it might be it might be the end of his career. You know, that's three knockouts. He took a ton of damage in the fight in the fight that he lost that he didn't get knocked out in versus Junior Dos Santos. We could the loser of this fight. It could very well be their last fight. So. Seeing Miocic working 24-hour shifts at the firehouse a, a few a few weeks ago is worrisome. Seeing DC working the commentating at, at, for the UFC and him coaching wrestling, and he's got a lot of other things going for him as well. Um, so there's a lot unknown about this fight. It's a tough fight to predict because they've already fought before. And they had a little bit of a, a an, an unlikely outcome happen in their first fight, and now it's hard to theorize how this fight uh, will go the second time. But the way I see it is Stipe's chin is not getting any better. I think that he took uh, you know, a massive amount of damage from that knockout last fight. And I think it's it's likely that his chin is going to be deteriorating from, from here on out. So I think the DC will land another hard punch that will probably knock uh, Stipe out at some point in the early rounds. If it gets into rounds 3, 4, and 5, I think the DC's pace, his uh, takedowns, his clinch style will, will wear on Stipe. And he will uh, probably get a finish in rounds 3, 4, or 5 if it goes that long. I really don't see this one going to, to the decision. I, I mean, I would be delighted to see it go to the decision because these two are these two are very high level mma fighters i would like to see them battle it out over 25 minutes and see a very even back and forth fight but 
I don't see it happening. I think they're both uh, too flawed defensively. Uh, they both have power in their hands. They both have great boxing. And I think that one of them is, is liable to get knocked out again. And I'm going to go with Daniel Cormier to get the second round knockout in this one. I don't think it'll be a punch on the feet this time. I think DC gets top position on the ground and pounds Stipe out for the TKO victory in this one. Tough fight to pick. Stipe could come in here motivated to get his belt back and ready to exploit the holes of DC. He could have fixed the holes in his uh, clinch game as well and uh, be ready to come back in here and knock DC out, get the belt. Uh, or DC could come back in here and prove that that rematch was not an or that first fight was not an anomaly, and he could uh, put on another impressive performance versus Stipe, maybe earning him that John Jones trilogy fight. Uh, it's going to be a great fight uh, between two of the greatest heavyweights of all time. I'm picking my man Daniel Cormier to win the fight. And uh, that's going to be all for the Martian MMA podcast this week. It's uh haven't had locked in too many bets yet. I'm I'm on uh, Heinish's money line. I'm on that fight going the distance as well. Uh, probably end up on Pettis's money line. I'll probably end up on Cormier's money line. Already got two units in on Casey Kenny at plus one fifteen, and uh, got some action. I'll probably get some action in on Shana Dobson as well. And uh, I will post my plays on Bet MMA Tips and my Twitter at UFO UFC if you want to see them there. And I thank everybody for tuning into the podcast. And I hope everybody enjoys uh, probably one of the best pay per views all year. So I will see you all before UFC Shenzhen in two weeks. Peace.